Part One, Act One of Aladdin or the Wonderful Lamp by Adam Olenschlager, translated by Theodore Martin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Part the First, Thalia. Act First. Ispahan. A small, meanly furnished room, Mustafa seated upon a table sewing, Morgiana spinning cotton. Oh, Morgiana, fast asleep again. No, Mustafa, you're wrong. Indeed you are. I was but thinking of my evening prayers and dropped my eyelids not to be disturbed in my devotions. It is growing late. <laughs> late quoth a late a pretty way to talk i call it early who i'd like to know is master in the house wife you or i you are a sloth a drone is this a time or place for poor folks such as we to talk about devotions pish nor evening prayers where is the use, then, of our fearing God? No use at all. That's just the misery. For whilst you are at prayers, you cannot spin. And who e'er dined on prayers? Will they make loaves, or from the butcher buy us e'er a joint? I am a frail old man. My strength is spent. I cannot stitch as once I used to do. You are my better half, and you should take upon your back the fair half of my trials. Morgiana weeps. I do my best to help. I'm sure I do. Well, dry your tears, and I'll not vex you more. You're a good creature. Faith, you might be worse. In days gone by, when I was better off, you would have worked too hard, but I forbade you. Ah, uh, wife, I used to beg you then, you know, to spare your fair white hands and comely face. But now, so run the changes of the world. All your fine gilding has been rubbed away and my last piece of gold has long been spent. Now you must card and spin if we're to live. And, what is worse, we must find provender for that long lounging good-for-nothing lout that wastes his days in idleness. Poor boy, you should not deal so hardly with him, husband. He is so very young. With his warm blood, you can't expect he'd be content to sit cross-legged upon the showboard all day long. To polish, though, the pavement all day long, with arms across and lazy pace. His blood is cool enough for that. Now, hark ye, wife. Well, keep your temper. Hush, here comes the boy. Aladdin, entering. God greet you, my dear parents. Wait a bit. I'll greet you, you young vagabond, I will. Where, sir, have you been frittering your time? 
with other idle rascals like yourself. Frittering? I frittering my time? <laughs> Not high. Say, rather, turning it to good account. There is the price of the rich merchant's dress. There, father. He was not at home himself, but as I'm but a boyish stripling still, they let me have free access to his house, and once they catch me there, the women folks won't suffer me to go. Oh, holy prophet, what darling creatures are those girls of his. They chatted with me, asked me, the dear rogues, if I was thorough master of my trade. Oh, that I were indeed a real tailor. If they would only give me leave, said I, I'd take their measures on the spot, I would. Agreed, agreed, they cried. Then off they ran and fetched me paper and a pair of shears. You should have seen what measuring ensued. Round arm, round swelling bosom, slender waist. Lord, Lord, a rare thing is the tailor's craft. You good-for-nothing scamp, I'll tailor you. Fine tailoring indeed. As he leaps down from the table, he slips and is on the point of falling. Oh, holy prophet! Help! Help! I fall! Help, or I'll break my neck! Aladdin helps him. This comes of being over-hasty now. Mustafa restraining his anger. Fetch me my L-wand. That's a darling boy. Aladdin fetches the L-wand. Mustafa makes a blow at him with it, but Aladdin springs back. His father strikes Morgiana's spindle and knocks it over upon the lamp. Aladdin runs off. Morgiana, who has dropped to sleep again, starts up, and seeing her spindle on fire, exclaims, Ha! Fire! Fire! Ispahan! Pa! Ispahan! Help! Murder! Persia's mighty capital is in a blaze! No, not so bad as that. Wretch that I am, I am the sport of fate. Ah, oh, you young scant of grace, scamp, gallows bird, will you not stop till I chastise you, eh? Will you deprive me of my livelihood among my rich, luxurious customers? Well, Morjana, have you lost your wits? There you are, sitting wringing your hands, and let the spindle burn. Oh, water, water, here! Water, indeed. And where I am to get it? Ah, there's not a drop, not one in all the house. Nor fireman's pail, nor engine spout have I. Oh, oh, my cotton, oh, my yarn, my yarn. In her distraction, she snatches up the silk dress on which Mustafa is at work and flings it upon the flames. The caftan burns. This was the heaviest blow. I never, never shall survive this day. Our house is menaced by a ruthless doom. Its light grows fainter to be quenched in gloom. Oh, if it were, what happiness for me! But soon in flames our little home will be. Mustafa swoons away. Africa. A large chamber illuminated by a faintly burning lamp. 
Round about upon the walls hang all kinds of singular instruments. Several bookshelves on one side. In the background sits the enchanter, Noureddin, in a long black robe with a scarf, on which numerous mystical characters are blazoned. On the table before him a little chest, filled with white sand. Buried in thought, he traces lines in the sand with an ebony stylus. Suddenly he exclaims, A wondrous treasure, the greatest in the world. Hid in a cavern? Where? In Asia. And where in Asia? Hard by Ispahan, deep in the earth, high overarched with rocks, girt round with lofty mountains. Holy Allah, what mighty mystery begins to dawn upon me. Shall I reach the goal at last at midnight hour, after the silent toil of forty weary years? I question further. What is this matchless prize? A copper lamp. How's this? An old, rust-eaten copper lamp? And what, then, is its virtue? How? Concealed, known but to him that owns it. And shall I? Scarce dares my tongue give the bold question voice. Shall I, then, ere its happy owner be? See, the fine sand like water interblends, and of the stylus leaves no trace behind. All's dark, yet stay, with surging waves it heaves, this arid sea, as when the tempest sweeps with eddying blast through by Lidogred. What mean these furrows? I am to draw forth a poem that lies eastward in the hall, old, dust-begrimmed, and wheresoever my eyes, when so I open it, may chance to fall, I am to read, and all shall then be clear. Rises slowly, and takes down an old folio, which he opens and reads. Fair fortune's boons are scattered wide and far, In single sparkles only found and rare, And all her gifts in few combined are. Earth's choicest flowerets bloom not everywhere, Where mellows ripe the vine's inspiring tide, With bale and bane doth nature wrestle there. In the lush orient's salty palm-groves glide Fell serpents through rank herbage noiselessly, And there death-dealing venom doth abide. Darkness and storm deface the northern sky, Yet there no sudden shock o'erwhelms the land, And steadfast cliffs the tempest rage defy. Life's gladsome child is led by fortune's hand, And what the sage doth moil to make his prize, When in the sky the pale stars coldly stand. From his own breast leaps forth in wondrous wise, Met by boon fortune midway, he prevails, Scarce weeting how, in whatsoe'er he tries. Tis ever thus, 
that fortune freely hails her favorite, and on him her blessings showers, even as to heaven the scented flower exhales. Unwooed she comes, at unexpected hours, and little it avails to rack thy brain and ask, where lurk her long reluctant powers. Fain wouldst thou grasp, hope's portal shuts amain, and all thy fabric vanishes in air. Unless foredoomed by fate, thy toils are vain, thy aspirations doomed to meet despair. Hmm, these lines were woven in a mortal's brain, a sorry rhymer's, little conversing with nature's deep and sacred mysteries. Kindly she tenders me the hidden prize. Is it that she, with woman's waywardness, may make a mock of me? Not so. On fool she wastes not her sage accents. The pure light is not a meteor light that leads astray. With a grave smile, her finger indicates where lies the treasure she has marked for mine. Yes. I divine the hidden import well of that enigma she prepared for me in that unconscious poet's mystic song. The needful powers are by no one possessed. To lift great loads must many hands combine. To me t'was given with penetrating soul to fathom nature's inmost mysteries. But I am not the outward instrument. Life's gladsome child... That means some creature, gay, by nature dowered, instead of intellect, with body only, and mere youthful bloom. Hmm, a young dull-witted boy shall be my aid, and all unconscious of its priceless worth, secured and place the treasure in my hands. Is it not so, thy mighty Solomon? Traces lines in the sand. Yes, yes, it is. A fume of incense will disclose to me the entrance to the rock, and a rosy-cheeked, uneducated boy will draw the prize for my advantage forth, as striplings do in Europe's lotteries. O oh, holy prophet, take my fervent thanks. My mind's exhausted with its deep research. The goal achieved, my overwearied frame longs for repose. Now will I sleep in peace. Tomorrow, by the magic of my ring, I stand in Asia. The succeeding day beholds me here, and with the wondrous lamp. Ispahan. A room, Morgiana and her female neighbors around Mustafa's beer. Once more I thank you, worthy gossips all, for your kind help with my poor husband here, He's dead, alack, great prophet. Ah, he sits no longer stitching on the table there and scolding me for dropping off to sleep. Now he sleeps faster far than e'er did I. Thanks, thanks, good Mirza. You, Amina, thanks. If God call either of your husbands hence, you may rely on Morjana's help to wash and dress and lay the body out and weep and wail as you have done for mine. Oh, Allah, think, the robe in which he lies, it was the death of him. He fetched a blow to hit Aladdin and upset my distaff into the lamp. 
I started from my nap with a great shriek. How to put out the fire was my first thought, but in my parlour's fright, not knowing which was black and which was white, I snatched a dress up, flung it on the flames, when down he dropped as pale as any sheet, and died of downright terror on the spot. Weeps. Well, tis a road we all one day must go, yet it is hard, and then in such a way. Aladdin is a worthless scamp. And now, farewell, my good kind friends. See, here they come to take him to the grave. This is too much. The corpse-bearers enter. My heart is breaking. Oh, good gentle souls, when ye take up the beer, grasp not too hard. Tis an old man, so lift him tenderly. He is not fit to bear much buffeting. And mind you turn his silver hoary head towards Mecca, and his feet to Medina. One kiss. Ah, me, how tranquilly he lies. Once he was always fuming. That is past. Farewell, my husband. Mustafa, farewell. Exit bearers with the beer. The women shriek. A street. Aladdin and a troop of ragged boys. In the background, the magician in Nureddin, who watches the proceedings attentively. There is Aladdin. Now we may begin. Now we shall have our game. Good morrow, friends. And where have you been loitering all this time? Look ye. There was an old man's funeral outside the town, near the small village mosque. And this it was that kept me. "'Tis so nice to listen to the singing "'and to see the stately way they bear the beer along. "'Why didn't you, I say, take me with you? "'Who was it they were burying? <sighs> "'My father.' "'Who? What? Your father? Gracious! "'Is he dead?' Two nights ago.' "'And you? You never spoke a word to me about it.' "'I forgot.' And you're not mourning? Where would be the good? Not in your dress, I mean, but in your heart. Why, if we mourned for all that went amiss, we should do naught but mourn. He was old and frail. Well, come along. The merchant at the corner will fling three oranges today for us to scramble for beneath his window. I will be there. Of course, no doubt you will. See? Here comes one. Now, youngsters, look alive. Aladdin has caught the orange. You're always lucky. Boys call out. Ho! More oranges! Another orange is thrown from the window and is caught by Aladdin. That's number two. They make a pretty pair. Aladdin shan't play with us any more. He mustn't try to catch the third. He's got enough already. Comrades, hold him back. Some of the boys hold Aladdin. A third orange is thrown out and falls into his turban. That's number three. One I shall eat myself. And now, here go the other two again. Throws two oranges into the air. All the boys run off to catch them. Nureddin advances. Why should I travel further? This child's play as aimless and as trivial as it seems, is yet devised by destiny 
to show the tool I am to use. As I surmised, sturdy and straight, red-cheeked, without a care, they bury this boy's father, and he goes to gape at this like any other show. Twice on the child did fortune shower her boons, ay, and the third time, though his hands were bound, he lured her favor down into his turban. Hmm, what would I more? The thing I sought is here. Goes up to Aladdin. God save you, my young friend. I see that you are a smart hand at catching. Aladdin sheepishly. Rather, sir. Forgive me if, a stranger as I am, I make so bold as tender you my friendship, for I am drawn to you in many ways. First, you are much the handsomest of all your playfellows, the tallest, too, to boot. How old are you? Just turned seventeen. I should have thought you older by your looks. You only want a beard to be a man. Then, in dexterity, you're foremost, too. And you have luck. A foreign merchant, I, almost a stranger here in Ispahan, and so would like to know some pleasant people. You show me too much honor, sir, indeed. Small profit will you get from knowing me. I'm a poor tailor's prentice, sir. My father died very strangely just two days ago. This was the way of it. With his L-wand he fetched a blow at me, but missed, and knocked my mother's distaff over on the lamp. The yarn caught fire, and thereupon he died. I heard you speaking of his burial, and, don't be angry, the indifference that marked your words somewhat offended me. Why, sir, he was a poor, infirm old man, almost threescore and ten, and very few live past that age in Ispahan. But then, t'was you, it seemed, who caused the old man's death. Because I would not quietly submit to be felt like an ox, because I leapt aside and showed him a clean pair of heels? No, gentle sir, think what a life is that which hangs by such a very spider's thread. It dies of simple fright, because a wisp of yarn takes fire. He rather owes me thanks for giving him occasion, as I did, to say good-bye to it for good and all. That was not spoken like a son, my friend. A son? Mashallah, I am fain to think that I count kindred with that sire of mine, through my good mother's courtesy alone, for he was old when he took her to wife, and she was pretty as the rumour goes. El Sefi, an emir, oft call on us. Right fond of me he was, and I was like him. Many's the gift I had of him before he lost his life in fighting with the Turks. Your father was so old. What was his name? His name, sir, Mustafa. Noreddin, with increasing interest. A tailor, said you? Body and soul a tailor. And lived long in Ispahan? Since ever I remember. A little peevish, uh, naturally testy? You know him? Yes. An industrious old man? Amazingly industrious. And he wished that you should be the same, no doubt, and not go lounging idly up and down the streets. 
the very man, his picture large as life. Noreddin embraces him. My brother's son. What? You his brother, sir? Yes, his own very brother. Mohammed, I thought he had been dead this many a day. Never could I have hoped to find his son. And now I find him in this comely youth. Embrace me, child. What is your name? Aladdin. Yes, yes, he wrote me word of that. But now, touching that same emir of whom you spoke. Aladdin, looking embarrassed. Oh, gracious! Uncle, not a word of that. Suppose it's something whispered to the wind. Well, come, Aladdin, my dear nephew, come, and lead me to your aged mother straight. She's still alive. The cottage there is hers. Almighty oh, God! How wondrous does fate bring things to meet together in this world! Exit into the cottage. A chamber. Noreddin, Morgiana, and Aladdin seated at supper. Most honoured kinsman, dear good brother, don't, don't take a deal of me to speak so bold. Dear bless my soul, I'd sooner have believed the Caucasus had sunk into the earth. Yeah, the Euphrates run completely dry, than that my dear, my faithful Mustafa. Weeps. Now he is in the blessed paradise, where youthful Houris, prettier far than I, caress and dress him day by day, and rub with flannel soft his poor rheumatic limbs. Well, let them. I am not jealous. No, not I. But to come back to what I meant to say, ne'er, as I said before, had I believed that Mustafa, poor ailing Mustafa, was brother of so grand a gentleman. Besides, I never heard him speak of you, yet he was given to gossiping, God knows. And so at first I thought, your pardon, sir, that you were but a thief, a vagabond, who took this plan to throw us off our guard. But when again I came to think that here there's nothing any man could steal, no more than on the red sands of Sahara's waste, and when you ordered heaps of viands in, and sweet sherbet in goblets of great price, then, dearest kinsman, my suspicion vanished. For what, said I, in all the world should make you so kind to an old woman like myself, and my poor boy, if not relationship? Yes, my dear sister, all that's in my power to do for you, or for your darling son, I'll do like a true kinsman. Why has fate concealed your poverty from me so long? But what is past and gone is past recall. Tis merest folly to lament the things we have no power to alter. We will deal with matters as they are. Pours out sherbet. So fill, my son, and pledge me in a cup. Uncle, your health. Drinks. Now, sister, tell me, and be frank, I beg, what's your vocation? Whereon do you live? What does Aladdin do? Is he industrious? What business does he mean to turn to? What is the peculiar bias of his mind? 
the bias of his mind? Alack, alack, to scour the streets the livelong blessed day, to tumble in the mire like any pig, to wear his breeches into holes at knee, to tear his coat to tatters at the elbows, to fight and swear and scramble up and down, that's all his bias. You may well suppose the boy has cost me many an aching heart. It's little else I get from him, God knows. He is my son, my own true flesh and blood, a handsome youth and smart, pure red and white, and everybody says he's just my image. But I must tell the truth, come what come may. He sees me spin and spin from morn till night, but what is that to him? God save the mark. He'll not so much as turn his hand, not he, to comb his hair out. Everything is thrown on me, poor me, of widows most perplexed. He should have been a tailor like his father. That was a tailor for you. Tailor's work don't drop into one's mouth like roasted doves. Whilst my poor husband lived, I took his part, the idle dog, and now heaven pays me off for having been a weak, good-natured fool. Weeps. Well, well, my worthy sister, dry your tears. As far as I can judge your boy Aladdin, his character is generous, frank, and noble. Too young to choose a business for himself, depressed and hampered by the want of means, he does not know which way to turn himself. In this way, indolence has rocked his spirit, like any cradled infant, into sleep. I'd wager, were he put into the way of starting in some trade in proper style, the master of a handsome shop, we'll say, well stocked with fine and well-selected stuffs from China, India, and the Levant, I'd wager, at a venture, two to one he'd very soon grow tired of his old life and turn to other courses. Eh, my son? Good uncle, you exactly read my heart. I never pass a merchant's shop like that, piled to the roof with cloth of gold and silver, gauzes and velvets, and rich robes and silks. But to myself I say, oh, if I had such a fine shop as that, then every day would lovely Persian ladies visit me, and they would fling their long, thick veils aside and order rightly to inspect the goods, and whilst their eyes were busy with my stuffs, mine should be busy taking stock of them. Oh, get me such a shop, dear uncle, do, and here I promise you by all that's sacred, to grow methodical, sagacious, grave, to comb my hair, and never more to play with stupid, dirty boys about the streets. Noreddin offers him his hand. Your hand upon it. Aladdin takes it. And my heart, too. Good. A shop I'll get you the day after next. Oh, holy prophet! He? A shop? Poor wretch! How in the world is that to come about? I'll buy a shop and set him up in it. Aladdin falls on Nureddin's neck. That's what I call an uncle. Blood with him is thicker far than water. But, dear uncle, tis a long time till the day after next. Were it not better instantly by dawn to-morrow? Tis too late, alas, to-night to buy the shop for me. What's done is done, and to confess the truth, I can't abide to be kept waiting long. 
thou saucy knave thou moon calf good for nothing hast thou ne'er one grain of sense in all thy stupid skull is this thy gratitude art thou not struck all of a heap with providence's mercies i cannot choose but weep oh best of brothers you are an angel sent from paradise to save this wretched orphan from perdition the poor dear child get up you rascal there go kiss your uncle's hand where be your manners have you no thanks ha is it not a dream i am so used to misery and grief this sudden turn of fortune quite confounds me calm thee good lady friend aladdin no to-morrow's friday and a holiday and we can do no business shops are shut the time is given to exercise devout and quiet recreation yet will i procure you a fresh suit without delay one that is fitted for your new estate and by your mother's leave we shall go forth into the suburbs for a quiet stroll among the cool shades of those lovely gardens outside the gates have you a mind for this yes that i have and for to-day we part for it is late and i am much fatigued betimes i shall be with you in the morning and now good night kinsman good night good night exit noreddin a wild mountainous region a narrow valley covered with grass and flowers shut in between two precipitous rocks studded with trees a stream dashes from one of the rocks noureddin and aladdin enter in close conversation good uncle you do tell the prettiest stories that ever i have heard in all my life i never should grow tired of listening i fancy i am wiser by a deal than when we started on our walk but now to every quarter of the world you've led me it may be very true all that you say of trade and merchandise but i confess what you have told me of these powers occult of nature and of marvels manifold of men who in a moment oft detained by merest chance would others waste their lives in vain and ceaseless efforts to achieve of the invisible and central force and other such mysterious agencies these were the things that gave me most delight these are the noblest themes the most sublime that can employ the mind of mortal man aladdin looks round him amazed but where in all the world is this we are you charmed me so with your delightful talk i took no notice how we came along far have we wandered from the gardens far through brake and greenwood over hill and dale we are right among the mountains surely we have come a frightful distance now i think it struck me once that i was growing tired but straightway i forgot it tell me uncle have you been as oblivious as myself no my dear son i led thee by design far from the city's stupefying din to nature's calm majestic solitudes i marked thy young heart beat with childish joy through the fair gardens as we came along which like a chaplet breathed their fragrance cool round that huge pile of gross and sculptured stone yet though i do not scruple to confess that these green thickets musical with brooks and clustering rich with fruits of choicest hues were fair 
most fair and pleasant to the eye, yet nature, fashioned in such puny moulds, bound down and fettered by convention's rules, grown up within possession's close confine, and under the possessor's lordly eye, is poor, most poor, beside these glorious hills, which tower majestic like the kings of earth. Though my words seem to drop at unawares, yet were they pondered carefully to lead thy bright and subtle spirit step by step, up from the trivial to the sublime. In what I told thee, twas my aim to make thee familiar with the marvellous. And so thou mayest not, like a fiery metalled colt, fold in the desert, with his wit to learn, rear up in terror at the sudden peal. This, therefore, have I done. And now, methinks, I may disclose my purpose to thee safely. Speak on, sir. I am not at all afraid. Then know, my son, that I for years on years have pored over nature's book of mysteries, and there unraveled marvels to occult for the dull glance of common eyes to pierce. Thus, amongst other matters, I have found that here, where now we stand, beneath our feet a cavern lies, deep vaulted in the rock, where all that in the mountain's bosom rests, a deeper bloom and richer luster wears, bright with the hues of an eternal spring, than the pale growths of this our upper earth, where the flower dies as swiftly as it blows, leaving its wan serre leaves alone behind. If, then, thou hast the courage to descend into this cave of marvel and of beauty, for thy sake, mark me, I came here, my son, for I have scanned its glories many a time. Then will I, by a spell of mystic power, first kindling some dry twigs, disclose to thee the hidden entrance to the vault at once. Oh, is there then a real cavern here, right underneath our feet, here where we stand? A grotto, studded with the choicest gems, infinite nature's magazine of art. And you can find its entrance by a fire of twigs and muttering some mystic words? That power has Allah's grace on me bestowed. Dear, dear, I never heard the like before. Art thou so soon afraid? Afraid? Not I. And yet it is too wonderful by half. You see yon withered branches, how they droop, scorched into tinder on the sunburnt rocks? Away, my son, and fetch them for our fire. But be alert, for it grows late and dusk. Trust me for that. I do so long to see this lovely cave. I'll fetch the wood at once. Exit. So then, the moment is at hand that gives the earth and all its glories to my grasp. This is the spot has been my life's one dream, the spot I've come so many leagues to reach. Here comes my instrument already back, laden with sticks and merry as a bird. Poor fool. So eager to embrace his doom, he stumbles as he runs. A dismal fall awaits him. Ah, look round thee, giddy boy. For the last time make glad thy wretched eyes with the fresh brightness of these flowery slopes, and warm thy wretched body with the sun. Soon, soon shalt thou, cut off from sun and flowers, 
shut in the dark and racked by hunger pangs, shriek through the echoing gloom in vain for death. There be weak fools would call this cruelty, but it is wisdom, unalloyed by passion. What's doomed is doomed, and cannot choose but be. Pshaw! Does the sage who into nature pries shrink to impale the insect on his pin? Aladdin returns with a bundle of faggots on his back. Here's wood enough to roast an elephant. But, uncle, on my way, and whilst I broke the branches off and laid them on my back, there came into my mind the old, old tale of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, and how the unhappy lad himself was made to bear the wood for his own funeral pile. Suddenly he swings around on one leg and waves his hand triumphantly. But Allah sent him an angel to his help, direct from heaven. Yes, Allah always helps, just when our need is sourced. Don't he, sir? Noreddin confused. Inexplicable fate overrules all. Yet the good Isaac was a dunce, methinks, not to see through his father's artifice. Just catch me being such a precious fool. But after all, perhaps, tis all a lie. Most likely. I'll lay the faggots here. And now help me to kindle them. But stay, one word. From the first moment that I saw thee catch the oranges in thy turban yesterday, I set thee down to be a youth of spirit, that manfully despises woman's fears, and hails adventure like a trumpet call. If such the notion that you took of me, I fancy, sir, you are not much deceived. Good. Then prepare to look upon a sight will make your very heart leap up with joy. When I have set the wood on fire and strewn some incense on it and pronounced the word, the earth will heave and tremble and anon from out its breast will rise a marble stone, square, with a ring of iron in its center. This thou shalt raise, the slightest pull will do. So thou but mutter to thyself the while thy father and grandfather's honored names. The stone, once raised, thou wilt behold a stair. Descend that stair. Tis dark, but do not fear. Around thee soon the cavern's fruits will spread a radiance brighter and more beautiful than yonder sallow, sultry, sulphurous suns. Three lofty grottos first receive thy steps ablaze with veins of gold and silver ore, which from the rugged walls of rock protrude. Pass onward, and touch nothing that you see, tis all too firmly fixed, to her labor lost. Crossing these chambers, thou wilt find thyself within a garden. Paradise itself was not so fair. Tis paradise, perhaps, here from man's view concealed since his first fall. The finest, and most gorgeous fruits are there, of every different color, crimson, blue, white, yellow, violet, and emerald green, like jewels hung in a sultana's ear. Flame on the boughs, and give the eye delight. How gladly would I go with you, but one alone may taste this rapture on one day. My own delight I sacrifice to thine. And all I ask thee for myself is this, that thou wilt cross the garden, tarrying not, till, at the end, thou comest to a wall, where, 
set within a smoky niche, thou shalt find an ancient copper lamp. This fetch to me. I told you I was fond of old knick-knacks, that I collect these curious odds and ends, and so this lamp, to others valueless, has a mere fancy value for myself. As thou returnest, thou mayest pluck the fruit, and bring with thee as much as thou canst carry. Only be quick, my son, and fetch the lamp. All right, dear uncle, I am quite prepared. Noreddin takes out a box of incense and flings some upon the flames. Immediately a peal of distant thunder is heard, and a flash of lightning strikes the fire. The earth trembles. A large square stone rises horizontally with the surface of the ground, in the center of which is seen a large iron ring. Now, quick, Aladdin, pull away, make haste. Oh, no, dear uncle, dearest uncle, spare me. I tremble so. I can't, indeed, I can't. Nureddin strikes him to the ground. Wilt thou provoke me, craven-hearted boy? How? Have I undertaken for thy good a task so hard and perilous that thou shouldst, like a lapdog over-nursed and cloyed, tremble with mere distrust when I but stroke thee? Quick! Seize the ring! Do it! Or by the prophet and by the mighty Solomon, I'll chain thee down to the stone and leave thee here behind. Pray for the eagles and the mountain wolves. Ah, dearest uncle, do not be so cross. I'll do your bidding willingly, I will. Do so, and I will make it worth your while. Tosh, silly boy. What? Tears still in your eyes? For shame, Aladdin. Show yourself a man, and a kind kinsman you shall find in me. In sooth, I stand you in a father's stead, and therefore tis my duty to chastise you when you deserve it. Trust me, it is all for your advantage. Come then, come and show how brave you can be. Grasp the ring, and whisper your father's and his father's name. I will. He mutters to himself, grasps the ring, and pulls, but is unable to lift the stone. Nureddin aside, and starting back affrighted. Almighty prophet, what is this I see? Does the spell fail me? Have I been deceived? I thought t'was not the thing. What didst thou think? Didst thou not name thy father's name, thou wretch? Out of respect for you, my honoured kinsman, I whispered Mustafa and Kasim's names, and so the stone lies rooted to the rock. But by your leave, I mean, sir, no offence, none in the world, but if you let me name the emir whom you wot of at his father, then you shall see. Ah, name them, name them, boy. Aladdin again grasping the stone. Al-Memon and Al-Safi. Here it comes. So, you were right. A rare disclosure, this. If one may judge by what we have just seen, we ne'er were kinsmen. Well, then, we are friends. But now, away at once, and fetch the lamp. The stairs are marble, beautiful and broad. It don't look dangerous at all. And there I spy the light already. Yet tis strange. Now I am in the hole. I have no fear. A little nervous, I must own, or so. But come what may, here goes. That's bravely said. Mind, don't forget the lamp. 
Oh, never fear. Is about to descend. One word. Upon thy finger place this ring. Whatever may befall, twill keep thee safe. Takes a ring from his finger and places it on Aladdin's. Uncle, all right. I'm eager to be gone. Disappears. Oh, Mohammed, be gracious to thy servant. I struck Aladdin to accustom him to be obedient. For spontaneously, and not from fear or menace, must he fetch me the lamp from this same murky cave below. But if with it he reascends to earth, the lamp belongs to him. Fate wills it so. And once closed in, the mountain opes no more. Strange chance. Well, well, here will I await my doom. Within the shrouded urn the lots repose. Ah, can the ministers of darkness say, if chance or industry shall gain the day? End of Part 1, Act 1